This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we return to an audience favorite. The popularity of telenovelas in Latin America will have some new plot twists. But first, Megan Eckhamel is here with the results of this week's presidential runoff in Chile and our weekly roundup of news from around Latin America. Michelle Bachelet won a landslide victory in the Chilean presidential runoff this past Sunday. She will return to the presidency in March. More than anything, thank you to the millions of people who today have shown through their vote and their commitment that they believe in me as much as I believe in you. Thank you because you are the face of all this effort we have shared. Bachelet aims to increase tax revenues and improve quality in education and work. This was the first year voting in Chile was optional. 50% of voters came out for the first round of elections, and only 41% came out for the runoff. Bachelet won the election with ease, but she faces a divided Congress. Bachelet was Chile's president from 2006 to 2010. She was the country's first female president and left office with high approval ratings. Edward Snowden, the former United States National Security Agency contractor who leaked documents earlier this year, is potentially seeking asylum in Brazil. Snowden has not issued a formal request to the country, but he did offer to help with the ongoing investigation regarding NSA spying in Brazil. A foreign ministry spokesman said that without the formal request for asylum, Brazil will not consider it. Peru, Mexico, Chile, and the rest of Latin America are finally catching on to a big global fad. It's K-pop, or Korean pop music. Members of the developing subculture gather at Korean bakeries to listen to their favorite boy bands and eat Korean food. These kids are also known as Los K-poppers. Hundreds of K-pop fans greeted Super Junior, one of the most popular acts, at Santiago's airport when the group arrived in Chile for a performance. Also, Peruvian barbers are now offering K-pop haircuts to cater to the new teenage craze. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Eckhamel. Thanks, Megan. As a bit of a holiday treat, we return this week to the topic of telenovelas. This is the third in a series of specials on that topic. And as you might expect, given the subject matter, the discussion sometimes involves adult themes. Once again, Carolina Acosta Elzuru of the University of Georgia lends us her expertise via Skype. In telenovelas, everything that's new is old, <laughs> really. Uh, so people can expect the same uh, you know, mix of melodramatic love stories. During this installment of our telenovela discussions, we'll examine the new and notable telenovelas available now, plus the impact Latin American telenovelas are having on the television audience in the United States, and vice versa. Guillermo Avila Saavedra of Salem State University, Massachusetts, 
also joins our telenovela analysis via Skype. They've not diminished in popularity as the American soap operas have, for example, and I think part of that ability to survive has to do with uh, an amazing ability to, to adapt. Well, I think that uh, an interesting uh, development in telenovelas in the last few years, uh, at least for me, uh, is the production of telenovelas in Miami by Telemundo and more recently by Univision through RTI from Colombia, uh, which is changing the, the context of the stories and having them more about the immigrant experience in the United States. Uh, so that to me is a new development. And we have uh, examples like, I don't know, um, Una Maid in Manhattan, El Almerida, Tierra de Pasiones, Anita Noterrajes, and even more recently, Marido en Alquiler, that uh, directly uh, discuss the, the, the challenges of uh, uh, Latino immigrants in the United States. One of the telenovelas both of our experts say is notable is Marido en Alquiler, the Telemundo Network's Spanish-language remake of a Brazilian classic. Marido en Alquiler is a remake of a Brazilian telenovelas. Brazilian telenovelas tend to have very good scripts. Every time you watch a Brazilian telenovela, you're in awe with production. They're just very well done. They have a lot. They do invest a lot of money in their telenovelas. This telenovela is a remake of the Brazilian hit Fina Estampa. Both Fina Estampa and Marido en Aquilar center their plots around the story of a woman who becomes a handyman to make ends meet, which raises opportunities for gender role reversals. I think that Marido en Alquiler, uh, I was attracted just by the notion of uh, making it a point that this woman, because she needs to support her family, works as a handyman, uh, meaning that she goes to other people's homes and fixes whatever needs to be fixed. Uh, but she, for that reason, she's a husband. You know, she's a husband that you can rent for a few hours, uh, which clearly implies that uh, fixing things around the house is a male uh, responsibility or a male uh, role. And I'm just fascinated by how the, the actress who plays uh, Griselda, the main, the main protagonist, uh, Sonia Smith, they, they present her in like I would call the trappings of masculinity with the jean overalls, the, the baseball cap, the plaid shirt, the tool belt. Um, uh, I, I just find that uh, explicit construction of the husband uh, quite interesting. And, and so what, what do you make of this? Is, this? is this a way to begin a discussion about gender roles in Latino households? Well, I, I would like to say so uh, to some extent. I think, uh, uh, for example, uh, Carolina Costal-Suru has uh, discussed about categories of telenovelas, and she would talk about the telenovela Rosa, which is often a, a love story. And traditionally, the female protagonist has been this virginal, pure, wholesome uh, ideal of femininity. And I think recent productions actually are, are really uh, are going beyond that uh, narrow definition. So we do have more empowered, uh, less traditional female protagonists. Uh, so in that extent, yes, one could argue that 
for the households who are following this uh, uh, telenovelas every day, uh, it might raise uh, conversations about gender. But I would also argue that as the plot develops, uh, gender roles tend to be normalized. Um, like Marido Alquiler uh, recently finished its run in the United States, and we find that Griselda uh, now embodies a more traditional version of femininity in the way she dresses and the way her makeup and hair is done. Uh, so I think it, it starts a conversation, but it doesn't really uh, go to the point of uh, really uh, transforming expectations of gender. Acosta Azuru also has criticisms of the remake. The flamboyantly gay character that is, you know, the second, the, the friend of the villain, the woman that's a villain. And Marion Alquiler... The, one of the problems I found was that those cliches were very exaggerated. So I, you know, the villain, I don't, I, I thought she was a little like a caricature, like a cartoonish character. So I didn't like that. ¿Crees que soy una mujer de tener delirios? Hey, ¿y ustedes qué miran? ¿Se perdió algo por aquí? Bueno. Are there also gender identity issues that are explored here that can also open the eyes of the audience? I think gender stereotypes are still the uh, Achilles heel of telenovelas. They, you know, most telenovelas can still fall in the trap of reinforcing stereotypes that simplify gender roles, that simplify gender as a performance. One telenovela Acosta Azuru recommends is Santa Diabla. Si es un cano, tiene que ser un infeliz. Ya tomé la decisión. Estoy cansado. Y los hombres a mi edad solo piensan en jubilarse. Pero tú no eres como el resto de los hombres de tu edad. Además, Gaspar, ¿qué, qué vas a hacer todo el día en tu casa, por favor? It's an original story written by Chilean writer Jose Ignacio Valenzuela. They call, uh, you know, his nickname is El Chascas. And uh, it's, a, it's a story that is, you know, has mystery, has murder, passion, revenge. It's, the cast of actors comes from many different places, but many of them are very good actors. So it's, 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 a, it's very attractive telenovela, but it is very convoluted. Lots of things happen all the time. Es una diabla, es una santa, es todo eso que me encanta, es un remedio que te alivia el corazón. Santa Diabla has a subplot that is about racism. Racism not the U.S. style. Racism Latin American style, which is mixed with classism and other things, elitism. And I'm very interested in that. And that's why I tend to look at those more carefully. Well, let's, let's look at Santa Diabla a, a, a bit more. The racism that you mentioned, is, is that racism against indigenous people? What type of racism are we talking about? It's about racism against people with a darker color of skin. The dialogues in American would be horrified because they're not politically correct. They are like Latin Americans can be racist. You know, they can say horrible things like, Esa negra, with this, you know, such disrespect and disdain, profound disdain. And there, the, the, the story has that. Uh, so it's been very interesting to me to examine it. I don't know if that story is doing well with the audience. 
or not. So this is just about the differences in coloration of skin tones has yes. nothing necessarily to do with indigenous or Afro-Latin Americans. It has to do, in a sense, it would be Afro-Latin Americans because the color of the skin of the woman who is in this, you know, love story, uh, she, she would, you know, an American would probably think she is African-American. The actress is from Puerto Rico. The, the woman who actually uh, does the, ro uh, the role of her mother is from Venezuela, and she has a lighter, sort of more, like, more golden color of skin and has green eyes. And it's been uh, interesting to see in, you know, in the message boards, the reaction to this. Like some people don't get how she can have these green eyes with this color of skin, which for Venezuelans, we are very used to that. So in a way, this telenovela becomes um, a vehicle for discussion of opening people's eyes to the issue of racism and, and how people can be more accepting of people of different hues. That's my hope. <laughs> That's my hope, that it will open up the conversation that somebody will say in their house, look at what the character of Hortensia is saying, you know, that is a horrible way of speaking of another human being. And somebody in the household will say, oh, well, but she speaks like our aunt so-and-so. And then there will be a conversation about it. That's my hope. I don't know if that's happening. The young, the young woman that I just described, who is darker skin, she's you know the actress is from Puerto Rico. Her character, she's an entrepreneurial person. She owns her own business, and that is terrific because that changes the stereotype. She's not a Cinderella. It's not that she's a darker skin Cinderella. No, 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 no. She has her own business. She's very much a businesswoman, and she has done very well. I don't think they've done a good job in the way uh, race and ethnicity is portrayed. And one interesting example, uh, one interesting uh, case for me is going back to Marido Alquiler, how the actress who plays Griselda and all her family for that matter, uh, even though they're presented as hardworking immigrants uh, who don't have education or, class, uh, or, uh, or money, they are all very white. In fact, Sonia Smith is blonde and, and blue-eyed. Uh, and so this is something that, that happens uh, across the board uh, in, in most uh, Latin American productions. So uh, that is an aspect that needs to be discussed, needs to be uh, confronted, uh, that the people we see in telenovelas, the actors we see in telenovelas are not representative of Latin American uh, population in terms of race. But yet the Latin American audience seems to still react to them and want to watch them. Right. Uh, that is true. Uh, and, and one has to wonder why, right? Uh, why is the blonde, blue eye poor immigrant believable or even uh, uh, approachable, right? Why wouldn't a, a, a more accurate uh, representation of, of a poor immigrant be as as appealing. Uh, so it certainly relates to the our own uh, perceptions and constructions of race in Latin America. What makes Santa Diablo a telenovela if it doesn't follow the usual Cinderella trope and it's actually showing a modern woman in a modern globalized society? 
No, it is it is a telenovela for sure. <laughs> Just the amount of drama it has will tell you it's a telenovela. Not only that, the story we have just talked about is a subplot. The main plot, you have really the main character, Santa Martinez, and she's in a way a Cinderella because she comes from a lower socioeconomic level, but she's a Cinderella in looking for revenge. And so that's that's a, it's a little different. It's a twist of the plot. Um, Santa Diabla has is very extreme in everything, you know. Passionate scenes are very passionate. Murders are horrible. Recently, somebody was killed. They cut his head off with a samurai sword. You don't see that 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 moment, but later they placed his head on a tray on a dining room table. One goal of some telenovela producers seems to be to find success in the U.S. market via the Spanish-language networks Univision and Telemundo. But the most important market and production center for telenovelas is still Mexico, especially Mexico's Televisa networks. Mexico is the empire in telenovelas. It is still the global empire. It still sells, I think, more telenovelas than anybody else. And it is. it still marks what most people who have never watched a telenovela think of a telenovela. And it also, the fact that almost 65% of Hispanics in the U.S. are of Mexican origin, also help fuel that empire. Because you have 65% of the population, the potential population that watches telenovelas is used to these very melodramatic stories. It's used to a country in which most of the telenovelas that are broadcast are made in the same country. So... The rest of Latin American countries, we are used to the different accents. We're used to the different vocabularies. Not Mexicans. They are only used to their own. They have been very protective of their product. Now, when you move them to the U.S., that's what you get. You get an audience that wants Mexican telenovelas. So it is no coincidence that Univision wins with a a Televisa-made programming grid and that Telemundo, when it finally hits the the jackpot is with telenovelas that are very Mexican. One example of that Mexican success is the telenovela La Madrastra, which is on at least its fourth remake, starting originally in Chile in the early 1980s and remade in other countries too under other titles. But the recent Mexican remake has proved to be the most successful. La Madrastra is, is I'm fascinated by that, by that story. I love that plot uh, because if I can, you know, get personal, uh, this is a remake of a telenovela that I saw as a child in Ecuador. Uh, was called Vivir un poco uh, with Angelica Aragon, and so this must have been the, the late '80s and. Uh, I was just fascinated by the story. Uh, it's a combination of, I would say, it's like a mix of account of Monte Cristo, you know, coming back and seeking revenge uh, with a whodunit. Like it's a, it's almost like a, it's a crime, it's a mystery as well. Um, so even at even at the time, it was perceived to be uh, kind of like a, a less traditional, less romantic story. And La Madrastra is the most recent remake, like I think the fourth remake of the same story on Televisa. 
with Victoria Rufo playing the, the main role. And it was a huge hit everywhere it aired. Um, and even though there's never a, a lack of new productions, I just recently learned that Univision is planning to rebroadcast uh, La Madrastra. Uh, so I, I think that there's something about that story that always works with audiences. When we return, we'll revisit the subgenre of narco-novellas, the telenovelas that delve into the world of the drug war. Stay with us. A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse and our special on new and notable telenovelas. Our expert guests today join us via Skype and include Carolina Acosta Azuru of the University of Georgia and Guillermo Avila Saavedra of Salem State University in Massachusetts. One of his favorite narco novellas is La Madame, starring Alicia Machado. Alicia Machado, uh, who was uh, Miss Universe in the 1980s, uh, plays this uh, very powerful uh, entrepreneurial pimp, Madame, uh, and uh, she uh, purely has agency, she has ambition, she uh, knows how to work her, her sexuality and her, her, her wit and her intelligence. Uh, and even though a lot of critics would say that she's still presented as a sexual object, I would say that to some extent that is true, but also she at least has control over, over this uh, 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 traditional version of uh, uh, femininity in a way to, that plays to her advantage. ¿Cuánto vale su colaboración? Le voy a colaborar de gratis. I read an interview that uh, Alicia Machado gave. She said that she found the story to be a feminist story. Uh, she plays this uh, pimp. Um, and, and, and she said in the interview that it's a feminist story because, and I'm quoting in Spanish, la inteligencia de la del hombre, which she means the the intelligence, women's intelligence, is um, man's weakness. Uh, and I found this uh, not a feminist statement at all, <laughs> right? That the idea that uh, the power of women resides in manipulation. Um, so going back to our initial conversation about gender, there, there has been transformation. Uh, there has been uh, uh, change. There's this uh, more agency, more empowered femininity. But as, as long as we keep framing this within uh, the manipulating power, that women have, uh, I think that it means we have a still long way to go. Es el mismo jefe de todos, apodado el Señor de los Cielos. Another narco novella of note is Señor de los Cielos, a dramatized version of the story of mob boss Amado Carrillo Fuentes and the Juarez Cartel in Mexico. Señor de los Cielos is sort of the telenovela version of uh, a real-life character. They did his story as a telenovela, just like in Colombia, 
Caracol did the story of Pablo Escobar. And so it was very successful, and now they're going for a second season, uh, which, you know, telenovelas usually don't have seasons, but they're doing a second season. Uh, the production um, scheme is very similar. So I don't think uh, they had a Colombian and a Mexican uh, co-producers. I think they're only having the Mexican one for the second season, but they have the same cast and the same team of writers. So, it, you know, it's that thing, popular culture, television, what works, you try to replicate the win. And so El Señor de los Cielos worked. They are, they are doing a second season. You've been on this program before talking about narco-novellas. So is this a narco-novella? And you had told us you thought that maybe those were on the downslide, but yet here we are with another one coming. I was completely mistaken when I said that. <laughs> completely mistaken. Um, they are not going down. They are still very successful. Colombia has been retelling its story through these serials. So they told the story of Pablo Escobar, then they tried to tell the story of los, the brothers Castaño. Then Telemundo did La Reina del Sur. They're planning another one with also sort of a Mexican character, female Mexican character related to uh, the, the narco world. El Señor de los Cielos 1 and 2. Um, it, you know, it doesn't go away. It, it, it works. It gives telenovelas a context that has in and of itself you know, the ability to ha to show murders, uh, you know, revenge, but, you know, huge because it's the narco world. There's a lot of money in it. And it's, it's, an, it's a, a topic that isn't going away in the world yet, unfortunately. Why do we classify this type of program, El Señor de los Cielos, why do we, we classify it as as a narco novella rather than something like The Godfather or The Sopranos or a, a straight up mob drama? The Godfather was a movie. You saw it once. You had one, two, three. You know they were awesome, all of them, by the way. <laughs> but uh, The Sopranos is a U.S. series. It's something you show once a week. When you show something once a week, your engagement with the product is completely different than when you watch it every night. Completely different. The U.S. market doesn't understand that because they have never experienced that. But Latinos know this. They know that every night at 9 p.m. they can watch Teresa Mendoza in, in Telemundo. They know that. It, so you engage with the show and the characters in a very different way. And that's why you cannot call those other ones narconovelas, nor can you call a narconovela simply a mob drama. It is a mob drama, but it's much more than that. Some critics would argue that some of these productions glamorize uh, the narco world. Uh, others would say that these kind of violent themes were not or, or have never been intended uh, for the novelas because they traditionally reach a family audience. But on, for, for my part, I think uh, they would fail their audiences if they were not starting to, to cover these, uh, uh, these like, relevant social issues. And an interesting development with El Señor de los Cielos, which has to do also about how this uh, Miami Telemundo uh, production of the novelas is affecting the genre, is that 
Telemundo announced that they're going to do a second season of El Señor de los Cielos, which this never happens in telenovelas. Telenovelas have traditionally ended after a few months. That is one key distinction with American television formats. There are no seasons to telenovelas. And Telemundo announcing that they're going to do a second season of Señor de los Cielos, to me, is, is also evidence of this uh, Americanization, if I may say so, uh, of the genre. Generales, ministros y dueños, cuadrense ante el Señor de los Cielos. That concludes our latest special on telenovelas. We want to thank our guests who joined us via Skype. Guillermo Avila Saavedra of Salem State University in Massachusetts, and Carolina Acosta Alzuru of the University of Georgia. And now a programming note, Latin Pulse will not be online next week. We'll be taking a break for the holidays. We'll see you back online next year on January the 3rd. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Ackhamel and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Feliz Navidad y feliz Año Nuevo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions.